one way to think of bad behavior, I've talked to a lot of researchers about this, is it's actually a reflection of your child feeling safe and loved. So when when kids are in a family and they know that, you know, their mother and father will love them no matter what, they can, you know, have a few more liberties in terms of their behavior. They can act out sometimes. And so sometimes that acting out is really just that reflection of like, I feel safe, I feel loved. And kids who are in, you know, families that are not supportive, maybe in abusive families, those are often kids who do not act out because they're, they're afraid. They're afraid of what's going to happen. So sometimes, yeah, I think we can think of bad behavior as, you know, a sign that like, in some ways we're, we're doing a good job as parents, as counterintuitive as it seems. Hey everyone, I'm Maria Sansone and welcome to another edition of Mom to Mom, the podcast. I'm going to take you back for a second. Do you remember if you're a parent that day when you left the hospital with your new baby? Do you remember this? I remember it like it was yesterday. We get in the car, we put the baby in the car seat and my husband and I look at each other in the front seat and we're like, they're letting us leave with this kid. We have no idea what we're doing. It's just us and our gut instincts, right? And that's kind of how it's been ever since. You just fly by the seat of your pants and you go by your gut. Well, what if I told you that the secret to raising a, quote, good human, which is all I think we're really after, might actually be counterintuitive. When I heard that, I needed to dig in. My guest today is using science to back that up and telling us all about this. Her name is Melinda Wenner-Moyer, and she is a science journalist and the author of How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Blank. For our purposes, we're going to say jerks. How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Jerks. It's something else, but since this airs on TV, we got to keep it clean. But you know what I mean. And, um, It's all we really want in life is to raise good people. So she has researched the topic and made the science really easy to digest for parents, showing us tangible ways that we can help shape our kids into kind, honest, resilient, and confident, good adults. There is so much great stuff packed in here, guys. I was hanging on every word. So here is my chat with Melinda Wenner-Moyer. Melinda, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Hi, I'm really good. Thanks so much for having me. So this is a book that so many of us parents need, although we cannot say it because we are on broadcast TV as well as a podcast. (laughs) I think we can all agree that we don't want a bunch of jerks as kids. And so you're going to help us today with some tangible ways that we can, uh, we can figure that out. So what inspired you to write this book? So I really wanted to create a science-based guide for parents who want to raise good human beings. And the reason for that is about three years ago, I was getting increasingly frustrated by what I felt like was a lot of bad behavior happening around me, like in societal discourse, just people not being really kind to each other, not listening to each other. The Me Too movement um, had started and we were hearing about all those allegations. And I was also seeing that rates of hate crimes were going up in the U.S. and bullying. And, you know, I wondered, I'm a science journalist and I turn to science whenever I can. I wondered if there was science that could help parents who, you know, really want to give their kids the, the 
tools and strategies, you know, to really become good people and maybe change the world. And I started digging into the research and saw there was just tons of research. And a lot of it was counterintuitive. Um, and a lot of it hadn't been translated to a lay audience. So I thought this is my opportunity to put that out in the world. Well, I'm, my interest is peaked now that you say it's counterintuitive because as a parent, oftentimes we're working off of our intuition, right? We're working off of that gut instinct because there's no guide, there's no manual. So people like you who actually do the research and have the science to back it up, we applaud you. And that's why you're here giving us the info. So when you talk about not being a, and we'll, we'll use jerk for our purposes, when you talk about not raising a jerk or some of these people that, you know, you were referring to that had all this bad behavior as adults, what kind of characteristics are you actually talking about? So I broke down the concept of a jerk basically into a bunch of like subcategories and looked into the research in all of them. So the first one is, you know, how do we raise a generous and compassionate human? So that seemed like a really big part of being a good person. Um, I also wanted to look at, you know, how do we raise a kid who's resilient and motivated and um, who's honest when it's important to be honest and who is anti-racist that felt really, really important. And also, I don't know if this is a word, but like anti-sexist essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, those were, and, and then just like generally sort of being, um, a self-confident, um, you know, just kind person in the world is another aspect too. These are all things that every parent out there, I'm sure is shaking their head saying, yes, yes, we want all of these things. Please show us the way. And I think one of the things, it's one of the things you talk about in your book is that age old thing, you know, tale as old as time. We want to provide for our kids more than we had. We want to give them the absolute world. We want to set them up for success without having them be spoiled, ungrateful brats. So are there actual tangible ways to give them all of these things without them being ungrateful? Yeah, that's a great question. I think <laughs> it, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I think there's a distinction between giving kids what they need and giving kids what they want always. And so I think we should be giving kids what they need, you know, the emotional support, the love that they need, the, you know, just like always showing that, that we, we love them no matter what, but at the same time, allowing them to feel disappointed sometimes and allowing them to experience challenges and sometimes even failures is really really important. So, you know, I see that as like making sure that my kids don't always win when I play Uno, like they have to lose. Sometimes they have to feel <laughs> what it feels like to not win a game. And when we go to the grocery store and they demand, you know, that cereal and these cookies, like I, I say no, and I set these limits. And so, you know, we want to make sure kids don't feel like everything's being handed to them on a silver platter and that it's okay to feel disappointed. And that that is part of life. And, you know, in doing so we're giving them the skills, we're helping them develop the skills to manage disappointment, not getting your way all the time, essentially. Those teaching moments are so important. And as parents, you know, we have to kind of pick our battles. But I remember one when my daughter was like three or four years old and she had one of her first like major tantrums and we were shopping for our dog's birthday. So for me, for her, it seemed like a really big deal. It was the dog's birthday and we were shopping for his birthday presents. For me, you know, I could take it or leave it. But she had a huge, huge tantrum. And I used that as the teaching moment. I said, if you don't start behaving, we're leaving this store and Ralph won't have any birthday presents. <gasps> and I had to put my money where my mouth was. I pulled her out of the store and the birthday party was canceled. And it was catastrophic for her 
for me, not so much, but it was that great example of she knew that I wasn't playing. And so moving forward, when we were in restaurants and things where I couldn't actually leave, she knew because we had done it that one time. So I felt like that was a really good one. You got to pick your battles and do it where you can, but show them that you mean business. And it, it really does help. Absolutely. Following through, having those limits. And then yes, you have to follow through when you, when you set limits or when you, you know, make any kind of of threat with consequences. Yeah. So no one wants that to happen. No one wants the kid to throw a fit or for them to be impolite or to embarrass you as a parent. But sometimes those bad behaviors can actually be a good thing if we take the opportunity to do something with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is um, a really interesting idea. One of the counterintuitive ideas, but um, one way to think of bad behavior, I've talked to a lot of researchers about this is it's actually a reflection of your child feeling safe and loved. So when, when kids are in a family and they know that, you know, their mother and father will love them no matter what they can, you know, have a few more liberties in terms of their behavior. They can act out sometimes. And so sometimes that acting out is really just that reflection of like, I feel safe. I feel loved. And kids who are in, you know, families that are not supportive, maybe in abusive families, those are often kids who do not act out because they're, they're afraid. They're afraid of what's going to happen. So sometimes, yeah, I think we can think of bad behavior as, you know, a sign that like, in some ways we're, we're doing a good job as parents, as counterintuitive as it seems. Um, and, and also just remembering that like kids, their brains are not close to fully developed. The part of the brain that's responsible for impulse control and rational behavior doesn't fully develop until age 25. So like they can't sometimes have the capacity to behave in the way that we expect them to. Sometimes our expectations are just too high for what they can actually deliver. And the way I think of it too, is for school age kids, they're at school all day and they are on best behavior, hopefully. And then they come home and we got what's left over. So it's nothing personal. It's just that they know that they feel safe in that space, that they can have those big gigantic feelings and there will be no repercussions in that kind of way where at school, they're trying to keep it together. So we have to give them that. The only problem is we've been at work all day on best behavior (laughs) or we try. And so we come home and we've got nothing left too. So it's that convergence of I'm exhausted and you're exhausted. And we know how that usually ends. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So where do you stand on bad words? Because I noticed there's kind of a bad word on the cover of your book. (laughs) Yes, there is. So, okay. So as you might guess, I'm not as strict towards bad words as some are. Um, and that's because when I've talked to child psychologists who actually study language development and swearing, they say, you know, kids are going to learn swear words because it's part of, it's, it's part of our language, you know, and, and they're going to hear it from somewhere. Even if they don't hear it from you, they're going to hear it from friends or, you know, on TV shows or movies, they're going to learn the words. And so what you can do as parents really is you can set limits on when it's okay to use these words and when it's not. And so what I do with my kids is I say, you know, if you want to use this word in your room by yourself, 
absolutely go in there and you can swear with the door closed, but I really don't want to hear it. I don't like it. And I know your teachers aren't going to want to hear it and other adults aren't going to want to hear it. And so it's really teaching the cultural and social expectations surrounding the words. Um, but of course, if there, you know, there are some bad words that are just hurtful and discriminatory and, and fuel stigma. And you can say, you know, there are words that it's just never okay to say because they're hurtful to others, but with words that are sort of like, you know, bad words, but maybe not terrible. Um, I just set limits on when my kids can say them and where that's interesting. Cause of course we're the ones that put the value on the word and we're the ones that fuel what that means. Otherwise it's just, I remember talking to my parents about when I was little, I'm like, it's just a bunch of letters put together. What makes right. it bad? Will we make it bad? Well, it's the way that, you know, so there's a whole background to it. So I'm kind of with you on that. Cause it also takes the rebellion away from it too. If if it's something that it's that you can say in the right circumstance, then perhaps it's okay. Absolutely. Our big reaction to the bad words is part of what makes it appealing to them. It's very true. So if we don't react, then they sometimes don't use them. My daughter heard me say the big one, the big kahuna, the F one recently. And I didn't even know if she knew that word and kind of knocked her socks off. She was not happy with me, but then it allowed me to have a conversation with her that I got so, so upset that I said something that I, I, I regretted too. It wasn't something that I was planning on. <laughs> so and then I talked to some of my friends about it and they're like, oh, she finally heard it. She's eight. I say it all the time. I was like, okay, thank goodness. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think that's pretty amazing that she, that she was yeah. eight when she first heard that word. <laughs> well, from me anyway. Right. From you. So what are some of the tangible ways? that we can help shape our kids to be good people and not jerks. <laughs> so you actually alluded to one of these a second ago um, in talking about how you were feeling. And that's actually really, really powerful for, kid, for kids to talk about feelings, you know, your feelings, their feelings, and like, let them have negative feelings. Cause I think a lot of times we hear our kids being angry or frustrated or sad. And we kind of, we try to shut it down. You know, we say, calm down or it's not a big deal. Why are you crying? But it can actually be much more constructive to, you know, validate their feelings um, and, and talk, you know, have conversations about feelings because that helps to build emotional literacy and emotional literacy is really the foundation of generous and compassionate behavior. Cause if you think about it, like to be kind to someone else, to do someone else a favor, um, you really have to kind of understand what will help them. Like what, how are they feeling and how do I feel when I feel that way? What do I I want when I feel that way. And, you know, they have to be able to make these kind of assessments about feelings in order to be kind and compassionate and, and, you know, helping them understand their own feelings is a really good start. And we've been talking about things that are counterintuitive in this conversation. And that's another one, because as a parent, our intuition often tells us like, get in there and fix it. We hate to see them suffering. So we're always trying to fix it. And we've done an entire episode about not just with kids, but with friends and people who are going through things about being empathetic, listening, sitting in those feelings as tough as it is without trying to jump to a solution and how helpful that can be. So what about the teen years? I'm not there yet. I know you're, you're there. Almost there. Almost, almost there. there. You're almost in the teen years. And as we know, because we were there, that is synonymous with rebellion and fighting against authority and breaking rules and all that good stuff. 
is that just what we should come to expect? Is there any way to kind of get in there and guide that time? Or is that all just part of the process of growing up? It is largely a part of the process of growing up. And again, it has to do with their brains. It has to do with what is essential for their development in adolescence. So kids really need a feeling of independence and autonomy, and they naturally start aligning more with friends than with parents. And this is something that's just universal. It is not because you did anything wrong and it doesn't, it's not something you need to fix either. Um, so you're, you should just kind of expect that to, to be what happens, but it can be helpful to make sure that they have those opportunities for autonomy, that, that they aren't having to um, constantly break rules in order to get their autonomy, that you're kind of granting them some of it because that can help and that can, you know, prevent some of the power struggles. And also just, you know, sitting back and, and making sure your teen knows that you're there and available to listen again, as you were saying, listen, but not always jump in with, here's what you should do. And, and, you know, we don't want to be overbearing during those years. And I think that's the best way to avoid power struggles. Yeah. I think that goes back to the pick your battles thing. You know, if your teen wants to dress a certain way for school, and it drives you absolutely insane, let them dress that certain way. So they have autonomy in one area of their life. So they're not fighting for it in every other area. You know, it's like, you've got to, which hill do you want to die on today? <laughs> right. It's exactly. the way it kind of always is with kids. All right. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the pandemic as a whole and, you know, parenting during the pandemic and how these unprecedented times have change the game. We know it's completely changed the game. What are you seeing with your research about how it's changed for better and for worse? Yeah. I mean, on the positive side, there have been parents who've been working from home more, who've, who've just had more time and opportunity to engage with their kids. This is certainly true in my house because my husband has been working from home and he's just able to spend so much more time with them. And that's been really a plus. Um, but there's lots of negatives, of course, too. Um, and I mean, one big one is kids just have not had the opportunity to play with friends, to spend time with friends, you know, to, to develop um, their social relationships that are so important. Um, and, and we have seen in research that kids, I mean, especially little kids have, you know, they're, they're a little bit behind in some areas of social and emotional development and even in motor skills. I mean, this is something that kids can catch up on absolutely. Um, but, you know, we, we are seeing that kids just haven't had the, the social practice that's so, so important for them. And that is, you know, it's really tough. In some ways it was nice because the world like stood still for a little. And with little kids, it was like, yeah, we kind of got to keep them little for a while. Um, but now I can see a couple of years in that, that, that social IQ and that emotional IQ, which we know is so important for the bigger picture of them as human beings did suffer. And, um, but like you said, they're resilient. And so they're making up for it now. I think they kind of jump back on. Are you seeing that they jump in and it's sort of like they're able to make up for the lost time? Yeah. And we know from studies that the kids really can make up for that lost time. If they're behind in certain skills, you know, they can make up for it. And I think the key is like finding ways that feel safe for you to have, you know, to have play dates with other kids, maybe it's outside, or maybe it's, you know, when case rates are really low where you are yeah. and just, you know, having creating opportunities for your kids to hang out with friends and develop those relationships. And when we think about what has happened over the past of the past couple of years with the pandemic and social unrest and what's happening now in the world, there's just been so much. Do you think that all of this has helped or hurt our mission to raise better humans? 
I think I see it as a lot of these are opportunities because we can talk to our kids about the difficult things going on in the world. And I think, and I think we should, and the research really shows that, you know, the more we talk about current events and things taking place that, you know, where other people are, are really affected and having conversations about that, explaining to kids that, you know, the world is a big place and, um, and people can live their lives very differently. And also we can, you know, we can take steps to help people who are in need. The more that we can sort of make sure that our kids don't live in this bubble where they think, you know, they and their friends are the only people in the world. And instead saying, look at all of these other things that are happening. It, it really helps to develop key skills. Like one is theory of mind, which is basically the ability of a child to know that other people can have different experiences and different perspectives and different beliefs than they do. And that's really, really powerful skill to, for kids to develop. Um, so, you know, just talking to kids about what's going on can be very, very helpful. One of the tough things that I'm hearing in my mom circles, or even honestly within my own family is how people are handling mandates and the regulations and really the pandemic as a whole, as it has changed over time. How do we talk to our kids about being um, understanding of families having their own choices in these matters? Because it gets very complicated. It really does. Um, so what I try to do, and I think it really is an opportunity again, to emphasize to kids that every family is different. Every family has different considerations and different, um, maybe different risk factors, different priorities, and that's okay. And that we should, you know, respect the fact that we may not understand everything that goes into a family's decision. So, you know, when I talk to my kids, I say, you know, you might find that, that other kids are making different decisions than you are about masking. And just remember that you don't know their backstory. You don't know everything that might be, you know, uh, they might be factoring into their decision and, you know, be respectful of that. And again, I think it comes down to really helping kids understand that, you know, the world is complex and, and people are making choices for so many different reasons. And we should, you know, go in with, with kind of respect and rather than judgment. Yeah. And that can go for grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles. I mean, everyone sees things a little bit differently. So it's just really coming into a conversation from a place of respect. Right. Um, and that will go a long way, I'm sure, for kids not being jerks <laughs> in <laughs> yes. their life when you're sitting around the dinner table. Um, this was such a great conversation. I am so glad you took the time and you wrote this book in the time that you did and you put so much research and science behind it that always makes for a great conversation. So where can people learn more and get their hands on that book? Well, my book is available at bookstores everywhere. Um, there's also an audiobook and an ebook. Um, and if you uh, want to learn more about me or subscribe to my newsletter, I have a weekly newsletter. Um, you can go to my website, which is melindawennermoyer.com. All right. Thank you so much for being here on mom to mom So good to have you in the mom cave virtually. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on this episode of Mom to Mom. Got some great information there. I mean, isn't this what we want in life is just not have our kids be jerks? We just want good humans. And I think we got some great information from Melinda there to get us on our way. Um, thank you all for tuning in today. If you're in the Boston area, remember that you can catch Mom to Mom on Mondays on TV at 1130 a.m. You can catch all of our podcasts. We've got so many of these wherever you find your podcasts. And if you don't mind 
please rate and review because, I don't know, I guess that's very important in the podcast world. So that's all my business. Thanks for being here today, and I'll see you next week right here on Mom to Mom. Mom.